Well, good morning and welcome to part two of a series that we called Eternal Perspectives. This is a study in 1 Peter, uh, the first letter that Peter wrote. And if, uh, if you weren't with us last week, Peter was one of the disciples that one of the first disciples to follow Jesus and he was a part of Jesus's inner circle. You had Peter, James, and John. Peter be, went on to become kind of the the face of the church early on. He was leading, he was the one that the disciples looked to after Jesus died and rose again. And and you have so much history with Peter. He's this kind of man, go for it guy. And, and you see him temper out as he gets a little bit older and even in his writings. But he wrote this letter to give us an eternal perspective of where we are because when he wrote it, the church was beginning to be really persecuted politically. Uh, there was emperor worship happening. Nero was starting to persecute the church because the church wouldn't worship the emperor. He wouldn't bow down to him. And so there was this conflict there. And, and Peter is going to give us perspectives on a political side. It's not going to be quite what you might think. He wasn't aggressive against the government in that sense. It was more of, hey, put things in the right perspective and realize that the government isn't always for us. And sometimes they're against us, but it doesn't mean that we're at war with the government. So got to understand how that works. And, and so Peter's listeners, they, they were probably Jews, but there may have been some Gentiles in there. You'll see that in some of the language. But he warns us, and he gave us a warning that we're going to encounter trials, that we're going to encounter difficulties, that life is going to be difficult. Again, they were being persecuted, even martyred. Uh, if you've got this image that if I come to Christ, that everything's going to be perfect and my life is going to go smooth from here on out, I'm sorry, it's just not the way it is. We get shielded from some things, but we still go through the difficulty. The difference is, is we have the power of God in us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have an eternal perspective that this life isn't all that there is. And so God gives us peace in the midst of our trials. So we're going to dive into all of this stuff. Remember, Peter himself was martyred. Now, today we're going to talk about preparing our minds. This is going to be the next step. We're going to finish up uh, the first chapter of 1 Peter and go into a couple verses into chapter 2. But Peter is getting our mindset in the right place, getting us in the right perspective to move forward to be able to encounter what's around us. Think about this. Before an army would go into battle, they would steal their minds. They would get them ready. They would get things in the right perspective. They would almost go in with a sense of peace, even though they're a, they could lose their life. Or an athlete prepares before they compete. You see it different ways. If you've ever watched athletes, some put headphones on and they hype themselves up. Others are really quiet. And some might pray, they might just get alone, get with their thoughts. Some like to joke and goof around. Everybody has their own way to prepare before going into something big. I know even, especially early on in ministry, as I would prepare to speak and it was so new, there was, I, I had a sense of, of nervous energy that I would have before I would speak. And, and so there was always a kind of a, a routine to getting ready for those things. I still have those. I like to get it by myself for a little bit um, before I speak. 
So that's just, those are things. We get prepared for what lies ahead. We, if we're looking at it, we need to be prepared physically, mentally, and spiritually for whatever comes at us in life. Physically, mentally, and spiritually. We got to be prepared. Today we're going to talk mostly about our mind, but all areas of our lives need to be prepared for what lies ahead. So let's look at this. We're going to go ahead and read through 1 Peter. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 13, and we're going to go down to chapter 2, verse 3, because that's really the thought. Chapters in the Bible, I've mentioned it before, don't necessarily break at natural points, because they were put in afterwards. They were put in, I don't understand why they were done the way they are, but they didn't always fall naturally in a thought process or pattern. There was often breaks in the middle of thoughts. So let's look into this. Starting in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him a great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, and now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, and not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for nourishment so that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Last week, we talked about living with expectation of what God is doing Not only what he's doing, but what he's doing in you and through you. So this expectation, this anticipation of what God's going to do, this future of eternity and how we impact those around us. Now he's moved on to us to talk about, um, to be prepared for what God is getting ready to do, to get ourselves ready so that what we're expecting God to do will be prepared for. I hope that makes sense. I love verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. 
we are to prepare our minds and exercise self-control, to put our hope in Jesus. What does that mean? How does that work? And I, I think about it, most of the battles that we fight in this life are in our minds. Not that they're made up. Spiritual, the enemy attacks our minds. Our, our minds can be our greatest enemy. They can be our greatest asset, but they can be our greatest enemy. We're the ones that are the hardest on ourselves. We're the ones that when we go into a new situation, the fear creeps in, the what ifs, all of those things that run through our mind, make us anxious, make us worried, whatever that is. And so a lot of the battle that happens in our life happens in our minds. The enemy will use that. He'll he'll exasperate that. Oh, you're not good enough to do that. You're just an imposter. How could you do that? And so all of those things keep rolling around in our minds. And that's really a, a difficult thing. And he's saying, look, prepare your minds for what's ahead. Change your expectations. Get ready to understand what God's wanting to do in and through you. Get ready. And then he says, exercise self-control, which is the last of the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned. Exercising that self-control to be able to, when things get out of hand in our mind, to be able to be self-controlled enough to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to help us through those situations. Where does self-control come from? It comes from the Spirit. Again, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So here's the thing. So what must we do to prepare? And here, how does all this work? So I'm going to start with the what first. Because Peter gives us a what that, you know, on what we're striving for, what we're trying to accomplish. How are we trying to prepare our minds and become? And the first thing is this, to be holy. To be holy. If you look at verses 15 and 16, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy for the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? This is a, this is a question that's been going on and, and sometimes people are like, Oh, we're going to talk about holiness. That means that I've, there's always going to be this whole list of things that I can't do because we equate holiness with all of the self-righteousness. But look, So the first part of being holy, true, is to be blameless and without sin. To be blameless and without sin. Here's the problem. We know that to be impossible for us in our broken, sinful state. Even after we come come to Christ and we surrender our lives to Him, we still struggle with sin. We still fall from time to time. We still stumble. We know this to be impossible. If we could, if we could make ourselves holy without sin and being blameless, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. Because then we could have just followed the law and been perfect. The problem was God knew that we couldn't follow that. The law just showed us how sinful we really were or are. And Jesus came to free us from that sin. Actually, we take on Jesus's sinful or uh, holiness upon us at salvation. So the first part is to be blameless and without sin, which is impossible for us. So there's another part to holiness. When when Peter's telling us to be holy, here's the other part. The other part to being holy is, is being set apart for God or in service to God. 
to be set apart. And that's really what Peter's wanting us to focus on. We're no longer a part of this sinful world. We have been set apart from it. That doesn't mean that we shun it or throw it away or look at it with disdain. That's not what we're talking about here. It's just that we have been set apart to a new standard, that God's doing something new in our lives and we are set apart for His service. Remember, we are called to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've been set apart to do that in a way that no one else can because of the power of God. So in order to be set apart, in order to live a separate life for Jesus, we need to live in obedience. In verse 14, Peter tells us that we must live as obedient children. Now think about that. When a child, now children are going to push their boundaries, they're going to to test those things, but for the most part, an obedient child, because they love and respect their parents, are going to be obedient to their parents. Not perfect, but they're going to be obedient. They want to honor them in the way they live and act. Now I know some of you are thinking, well, my kids aren't obedient. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe you're a little too hard on them because you're a little too close to them. Or maybe, maybe they don't have that same respect. But when we love and respect someone, we want to be obedient to them. We want to show them honor by the way we live. We love and respect God. We honor, we fear Him in the right way. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Because of that... We want to live as obedient children. We don't want to allow sin in our lives. We don't want to become corrupt in that way. We know we're going to stumble. We know we're going to fall. We need the grace of God to do this. But it's our goal to strive to be a little bit more like Jesus, to follow Him a little bit more. So being holy is less about perfection and more about being set apart. Did you get that? It's less about perfection and more about being set apart because God knows that we can't do this without Him, that we're going to stumble, that we are going to sin at some point. It doesn't give us an excuse to sin, but there's grace when we do that we need to set our part, ourselves apart, to set ourselves apart for Him and to strive to be like Jesus. So why do we want to do this? What is the point? And that leads to the second thing. Why? is because of Jesus. Because of what He's done for us. I've always felt that we can endure any kind of trial and tribulation when we know why. Well, the why is all that Jesus has done for us. The disciples went through tremendous persecution, even being martyred. They were imprisoned. They were beaten multiple, multiple, multiple times. This is the part that we tend to forget, we tend to overlook, because we don't live in a world where we're physically beaten or imprisoned because of our faith. Now, there are parts of the world that are like that still, but in America here, we're pretty privileged. We have freedom in that. We might get laughed at, we might get ridiculed, we might get passed over in jobs, and that is a form of persecution, but not even to the level of what I'm talking about here that the disciples 
They endured all those things. Why? Because of Jesus, because of what he's done for them, because of what that eternal perspective, what the future holds, because of the hope of the resurrection and eternity. Look at verses 17 through 22 again. Kind of talks about this. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was paid not with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was with the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. And now in the last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Jesus, you have come to trust God. You have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as your brothers and sisters and love each other deeply. Look, because of Jesus, we want to be obedient children. Because of what he's done for us, the sacrifice that he made through his blood, the ransom that he paid, he's given us a future and a hope. Going all the way back to our study in 1 Corinthians, that's where Paul ended was that hope of eternity, that eternal hope. That one day this life is going to be over and we're going to be with Christ, co-heirs in heaven for all of eternity. This life isn't all that there is. That's why we got to prepare our minds and begin to think with an eternal perspective. It will get us through all of those difficulties. He doesn't look. He says, look, no respecter of person. He doesn't matter. He doesn't look at our status, our wealth, all of those things, but our obedience and the direction of our hearts towards Him is what He looks at. Are we moving towards Him? Are our hearts turned towards Him? Are we striving to be obedient? Are we striving to follow Christ? That's what Jesus is looking for. That's where it is. So how do we do this? That's really where we're going to land this plane is on the how. How do we become holy? How do we follow God and be set apart? It's difficult. We want easy steps. We want if you do A and B, you'll get C every time. It doesn't work that way. There are some things that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you four steps. They're not the only steps. And they're not even all the the most important steps. But they are something that you're going to have to to really grab onto. I think they are important ones. And the first one is to prepare your minds for action, which we already kind of talked about out of verse 13, it says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. This is what we have to first start with, because I think all of our battles start here first. They start in our minds. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do we trust that scripture is accurate and right? Do we trust that God's working through us, that he can use us? Do we trust that he's going to provide the finances? Do we trust that he's going to take care of us in every situation? We've got to prepare our minds for that. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12 too. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
when we put our trust in God, when we allow the Holy Spirit in, He begins to change the way we think. We no longer put ourselves first in everything. We put God first and other people and we begin to love and serve, and it changes our actions, it changes our perspective into a godly perspective. Think about Jesus. Jesus did not put his own physical wants and needs before the will of God, before even the sacrifice he did for us. So, we do this, we get our mind right through a couple different ways. One is spending time in prayer, Spending intimate time with God in prayer changes our thinking. Uh, through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, we begin to transform our minds and change the way we think. So here's some things. We need specific people in our lives to help sharpen us, to make us stronger. We need to surround ourselves with people that are going to make us better. Proverbs 27:17 says, As iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. We need people in our lives that will sharpen us and help us to grow towards Christ. Again, I've told you hundreds of times, not all of your friends should be Christians, but you should have some good core friends that are Christians, that help you to make those wise decisions, that are there to say, hey, I don't know if, you're, if that's the right thing, or to just encourage you and sit with you when you go through difficult times. We need that. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. Someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We need to be connected to other believers. We need to be connected to others that are going to sharpen us and make us better. That's why Jesus created the church to build community around a common goal to serve and love God. And so that we could fulfill our mission to draw other people towards Him so that when people see us, they see the love we have for one another and want that love for themselves. That Not that we're out there condemning them, but that we're showing them that love that we've invited them into that journey. We need each other to help us to grow. We need the Word of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to get our minds right so that we can move forward. It's all part of that. Every part of that connects us and helps us to get our minds in the right place. Second thing is to love each other. This is, it kind of flows into this. And if you go down to verse 22b, the second half of verse 22, it says, So now you must show sincere love to each other, brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. Look, we're not going to like each other sometimes. Some people are just going to rub us the wrong way, and that's okay. But we need to love one another, be concerned for one another, check on one another. One of the beauties of what I've seen in our church and in Christian community um, is when somebody's hurting and difficult, when we as brothers and sisters in Christ reach out to them, sometimes just to sit with them, sometimes just to send them an encouraging message or to provide a meal, whatever that may be, that helps us to get through, that helps us to, to move forward, to be prepared, 
to be in that right place. We've got to lift each other up, pray for each other, encourage each other. That's why we need to start first with our mind change so that we get ourselves in the right perspective. See, most of the sin and selfishness is at the core of us focusing just on ourselves and pushing everyone else away. When we need each other and to love one another and to care for one another. So we've got to do this. When we act out of love, when we listen to the Spirit and we put others' needs first, it will help us to be prepared for what God has for us. We need to see the people outside the, the church through the love of Christ, not through their sinfulness, but through the love that God has for them and pray for them and pray that God would draw them in. So the third thing today is to cut out evil behavior. We're talking about being set apart and being holy. The third thing is to cut out evil behavior. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. This is easier said than done, isn't it? But that's the thing. The closer we get to Christ, the more we become like Him, the less these things become important in our lives. Why do we deceive people? Because we try to make ourselves look better. Why are we hypocrites? Because we're putting our wants and needs before the things of God. We're telling people we're going to do this, but really we do what we want to do. Jealousy, because we want what somebody else has, and, and that's all about us being more than we think we are. Unkind speech, putting people down to make ourselves feel better about ourselves or to make other people think that we're better than we are. Those are at the core of sin. We need to cut that behavior out, to treat each other with love and respect, to lift people up, to encourage them. We're, we're the most like Christ when we're encouraging and celebrating the people around us, when we're loving them right where they are. The closer we come to Him, the more that our mind changes, the easier this will become. I'm not saying that at some point we won't battle with those behaviors. We're going to. We're going to. We're going to battle to keep our tongue in control, to have that self-control so we don't say something that puts somebody down or say something that's mean or do something that's going to hurt somebody. We are a broken people. We're always going to struggle with sin. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and if you start at verse 10 and go down further, I'm not going to read it right now, but he goes on and talks about how our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual struggle. We struggle against the evil forces in the spiritual world. And then he talks about the, the armor of God that we need to put on. Go there, look at that. That's our defense system, the full armor of God. And it shows us how to prepare ourselves to be holy, to be set apart, to love and care for one another. The fourth thing and the last thing is this, crave spiritual food. What? What is spiritual food? Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. It says, like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Have a hunger and desire for the things of God, for the Word of God. Not This is not just 
Bible preaching and teaching, but digging into the Word of God, knowing it for yourself, studying it, allow that spiritual food to nourish you. The more you understand who Jesus is, the more you see how the Bible fits together in context, the more you'll be encouraged, the more you'll grow closer to Him and understand how God wants you to live. That literally transforms your mind. Again, this comes full circle. The Word of God changes the way we think. In it, we find the tools that we need for life. Now, again, you need to read it in context. I would encourage you, if you're a newer believer, study it with somebody else that's more mature. Dig into it with somebody that's more mature. Be careful of the studies that you do, just like anything else. There are a lot of studies out there that are out of context and they can lead you astray. Take the time to get with somebody and help, let them help you study. And for those of us that are more mature, make sure that we're always looking for somebody to mentor and help them to grow and to get a hunger for the Word of God. We need to cry out for the Word of God. We need to desire to bring it into our lives. I love that Peter uses the image of a small child crying out for mother's milk. Have you ever seen a hungry child or been around a hungry child? Man, they will cry and do everything they can until their need is met. Try and communicate the only way they know how. If I cry, I get mom or dad's attention. I get other people's attention. They don't know how to tell us that they're hungry. They don't know how to tell us that they need something. So they cry and they're crying out and craving that spiritual milk. Peter's saying we need to have that same intensity towards the Word of God and towards learning and growing about Him. What would happen if the child's needs were not met? Eventually, they would die. Eventually, they would die. The same would be true for our spiritual lives. If we don't feed our spiritual lives, if we don't give our spiritual selves nourishment, eventually it dies. Eventually, that relationship with God dies because we're not feeding it. Whatever you feed will grow. We need to nourish ourselves spiritually. So to be holy, to become holy, which is that changing of our minds into the right mindset, this eternal perspective, we need to become obedient children. We need to strive for holy lives. That means to be set apart for Him. And it comes through us all of it comes around full circle. It comes from us putting the right things into our lives, surrounding us with the right people, moving towards Him, having a hunger and desire for Him. We need to strive to honor Him every day. And see, the thing is, the more we learn and the more we fill ourselves with the Word of God, the more we'll have true compassion for the people around us, the more we'll begin to see our neighbors and our co-workers the way Jesus sees them. Not through condemnation and self-righteousness, but through love that says, man, I don't want to see my brother or sister miss out on what God has for their lives. I want them to know Jesus. I want to know them in an intimate way so that I can show them the love of Jesus. That's the goal, isn't it? So keep our minds focused on eternal things. This life is temporary. It's gone in a flash. 
Let the things that you do, let the things that you say be focused with an eternal perspective, that we are moving towards our eternal home one day and that we're striving to bring as many people along in that journey with us, that we're striving to love and care for those around us the way Jesus loved and cared for those around him, the way he poured out his life so that we could be with him for eternity, so that all people could be with him for eternity. So understand what it means to be holy, to be set apart. Work on changing your mind. Become hungry for the Word of God. Become diligent in drawing people towards Him, building new relationships, helping people to know that God loves them more than anything else. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to change our minds today that today we would become a little bit more like you. Today we would think a little bit more like you, that we would see things from that eternal perspective. Lord, I pray right now that you would fill us with your power, with your Holy Spirit, that you would draw us into relationship with you in a new and amazing way. And Father, I ask that you would give us a heart for your word, that you would give us a heart for the lost, that we would be drawing people towards you daily. Protect us, guide us, direct us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for worshiping with us today. Thank you for spending time in the Word of God today. Dig into the Word of God this week. Encourage somebody this week, and we'll see you again next time. Have a great week.